Welcome to the Out of Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show. OutofLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. Happy March, everyone. Hope you're doing unbelievable. I don't know about you, but I am getting pumped because we're getting closer to spring. I'm not a fan of winter. I think it sucks. Everyone says, well, it's one of the four seasons. It's got some significance. I don't care. What significance? You get a lack of sunlight, all that depression. And come on, December is when all the good stuff happens. It's when you have the snow, the Christmas lights, the Christmas carols. What do you have between December and spring? Nothing. Just, yeah. So we're going to kick things off on a positive note with a very positive, inspired guest. Our featured guest is an author. He also does a podcast with Mr. Dylan Charles, who, as you know, is the founder and editor of WakingTimes.com, an incredible website. These two individuals are cutting edge with their with their show, and it's a real honor to have our future guests. Let us begin tonight's program. Joining us now is Mr. Jeff Anthony, he's a metaphysical teacher, and he's author of a great new book called Cosmic Wizard, A Journey from Outer Rage to Inner Sage. I say, I love that title. Yeah, thank Mr. you. You're welcome. We can learn more about Mr. Anthony by going to his website at journeytointersage.com. Mr. Anthony, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today, sir. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Got it. So you have this book. It is a – we just spoke. It is a memoir, and it shows a lot of uh, lessons that people can learn from. What would you say would be three of the biggest lessons that people can learn from your book? Um, well – that's a great question. And the, the first lesson that I would share with people is, um, you know, you have to accept who, what, and where you are now. If, if you're looking to make a transformation, if you've, if you've been struggling with trying to become the bigger, better me, as I say, you have to accept the broken me. You know, you have to accept where you are now, who you are now, and the things that you're doing, or else you'll never get to the next level, you know? So that would be my first uh, step is, you know, radical acceptance of who, what, and where you are. Uh, the next thing you have to do once you've uh, accepted that is surrender to what is because it's not going to change tomorrow and it's most likely not going to change next week. It's a process and it takes repeated acceptance of the things that are going to keep coming up on your path. And ultimately, you're going to find that you find yourself in a in a long phase of forgiveness. So, you know, but I, you know, I found on my path that people kept telling me, forgive this, forgive that, forgive these people. But if you haven't accepted the things that those people did and you're still fighting these mental struggles in your mind, you can't do that forgiveness. So it's the acceptance, the surrender to what is, and ultimately forgiving so that you can move forward with your life. All right. So mentioned about forgiveness to people. What are some of the things that came about in your life that made you have some experiences with people that made it very hard to forgive. Right. Well, I grew up in small town Texas and, you know, in a trailer, in a trailer park. And, you know, I dealt with a lot of, you know, abuse from my dad. I dealt with a lot of, uh, you know, people kind of looking down their nose at you and uh, making fun of you for your situation that you didn't create. You know, you're just there trying to live your life as a child. And um, I made a lot of choices and decisions Based on my home life, you know, like I joined the military and then because of my experience and time in the military and dealing with vaccines for the original desert storm, I developed a, a muscle wasting disease. And so, you know, I went from being like a superior 
you know, scholarship athlete because I had offers to play college football and things like this. And um, to somebody who was having to use a walker and a wheelchair and all these things and a very short period of time, you know, and so I blamed my my dad. I blamed myself for the choices I made. And um, it took a lot of uh, deep soul searching to realize that, you know, all these things were they were on my path, first of all. And I had to accept where I was because I couldn't wish away you know, the, the neurological disorder that I had. And, um, I had to neurological disorder, right? I have a, due to vaccines, I developed a, um, it's called, it's a neuromuscular disorder where, uh, it interrupts the transmission of information from your brain to your sineal muscles, you know, like the ones you use for, you know, like your biceps and your calves and your, hamstrings and all those, you know, not your core, but the muscles you use in your extremities, right? And um, so I developed severe muscle wasting, um, really akin to like muscular dystrophy. And really interesting, the the Navy diagnosed me with muscular dystrophy, which is impossible because no one in my family, you know, there's no uh, genetic marker in my family to have muscular dystrophy. And then they also said they don't pay disability to genetic disorders only to, you know, service related things. And I'm a hundred percent service connected, disabled. So there's a lot of, and it took a long time and it was a long fight and there's many, many things we could talk about in, inside of that too. But, um, as far as the, the what is, would you say we a couple of things that it, um, your disability prevents you from doing in order to have a fulfilling life or total, total fulfillment of life. Right. Well, I used to, like I said, was a, a very accomplished athlete and uh I loved mountain biking and hiking and swimming and all these things and I can't do any of them now. Um I have to walk with a walker and I can only walk limited amounts. So I I am in a situation now where I have to use a wheelchair, you know, and there's a lot of things to deal with when you've been using a wheelchair for let's see, I'm 42. I've been using that for about 14 years now. You know, when I have to travel or go to a mall or do anything that's ex- excessive walking, I have to use that. And you get a lot of funny looks when you're a young guy with, you know, a big goatee and earrings or whatever. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of harassment from police officers and sheriffs because I park in handicap and people call the cops on me literally, you know, and they're like, hey, who's the disabled person here? And you're like, oh, well, here's my, do you want to, you know, you show them your tag and your license and all this stuff and then you're like hey do you want to see my va card i was in the service like oh, yeah put that junk away i don't care about that and you're like well okay well you know whatever i guess you can't be young and have issues or, or look like me or whatever so it's been a funny thing and i had to get to the point where i realized that's you know that's their damage that's their issue it's not it's not about me i can't take all these things personally and that's where i started developing this other thing that i talk about in my book where i i call it forgiveness in the moment because you know, nobody knows your situation just like you don't know theirs. So don't judge, you know, and, and if somebody's judging you, just forgive them in the moment. It's not worth holding on to all that mess, you know? Well, we say forgiving people in the moment. What if some people come in and unpardonable or something very horrible to someone else? How do you just forgive and live and let go? Because I, I, one of the things I've struggled with in my personal life is that I don't even know if it's worth it to forgive unless it's going to benefit me directly. If somebody commits something horrible, I mean, the forgiveness is all about me, like, personally just saying I'm doing it because I don't want to have this energy in my life. But if I could deal with the energy, like, why do that? Why do you have to seek to attain such a high level um, if eventually, you know, you're going to die and go on to another plane of existence anyway? What is the main, main purpose of forgiving from your perspective? 
from my perspective, and this is the last step that I talk about in the process of my book, is it's harmony. You're trying to get to a place where you're living your life in harmony, right? And if you have so much discord because you're you're holding on to anger and frustration of things that happen because this guy cut you off or somebody flipped you the bird and, you know, things that are just completely illogical, you know, um, and we live in a day where an age now you know, at 42 years old, I've noticed how much more triggered people are, you know, and how overly sensitive. I grew up in, like, Texas tough guy land, and I talk about that in my book. And, you know, I now I live here in Oregon, and I lived in Costa Rica for 10 years, and people are much more sensitive and soft, you know. And um, it was it's really funny when people get to meet me, they're like, man, you're a really tough guy. You have this, like, drive and – I can't believe you do things that I wouldn't do and there's nothing physically wrong with me, you know? And uh, I, I think that all comes from all the issues that I've dealt with and growing up with a really hard dad, you know, I mean, like say the wrong thing and you're getting, you know, you're getting backhanded, you know, like, and you're nine, you know? And um, I mean, you know, in a lot of ways, I held on to that anger for a long time. And ultimately, to, to completely answer your question is the anger will burn you out. I mean, and that's what happened to me. I, I burned myself out. I couldn't um, I couldn't function in the world anymore. I realized that I hated everything and everyone and and that the source of that hatred was me. So that ultimately I, I hated myself. You know, I hated the choices I'd made. I'd hate, I hated the discord in my life and I had to start the forgiveness cycle had to start with me. And so I think to answer your question a little more is if you're unwilling to forgive others, then it's really hard to forgive yourself. So you feel it is very important for you to to do that. Was there anything that made you feel at any point in your life that you were personally responsible for drawing into experiences um, things that were very negative, they're very, they were very hard. Do you feel that there's something inside of you that maybe you had um, a piece of self-hatred or a piece of, of self-loathing that was pulling into your life these experiences? Yes, absolutely. And that's what, you know, I was trying to address. I'll tell you, you know, originally when I started writing the book, I wasn't doing it to publish a book or to help anyone because I was in a place where I didn't feel like I was of use to anyone because I had really low self-esteem. I was self-loathing. I was bitter. And I had to realize that writing the book was just a process for me to get a lot of things off my chest and kind of like look at them, you know, instead of thinking about all this stuff and trying to keep score or keep track of everything, it was really cathartic to put it on paper and then go back and read, you know, and, and, and it was a release. You don't realize you know, there's many, many chapters of that book where tears were falling on my keyboard as I'm trying to type through the, you know, the content and get and get through a chapter. And then there was many, many things that I deleted from the book because I was like, you know, um, not all of this needs to be hashed out, but it all needed to come out, you know. And um, so, you know, I, I wrote a, a 90,000 word book and then slimmed it down to 40,000 words because I realized that people today aren't uh, the avid readers that they all used to be, cause especially when they could watch a YouTube video or, you know, a little write a read a little article on Facebook or something. So I tried to maximize my time with people and and maximize the message. And it's I've been, had some great uh, experiences so far. And people have said, man, this was great. I had a 
you know, a four or six hour flight somewhere. And I read the book in the entire flight and they're like, wow, that was so amazing. I just wanted to keep going, you know, when people read this book and they experience your energy and they're, they're going through your life and they're seeing things. What do you want people to take away from it? How do you, what are some of the empowerment lessons that you want people to take away from you? We're talking in addition to forgiveness, in addition to something you mentioned before. Right. Well, you know, it's funny you ask that question because, like I was saying before in the last question, I wrote the book originally just for myself, you know, just to kind of vent or purge or, you know, whatever you want to call it. And, you know, ultimately I realized I was sitting on on a wealth of information because I had worked with all these different shamans and healers and Reiki and there's all these different experiences, ayahuasca, all these different experiences are all in the book, right? And I'm talking on that because I wanted to show people, hey, I'm just a meat-eating, football-playing dude from Texas, right, who was angry at everybody. And if you would have seen me coming down a dark alley, you would have turned and gone the other way. And now I've opened my heart, and I'll befriend and help anyone I can. And ultimately, that's what came out is, hey, man, if this can happen to me, it can happen to anyone. Because there was a time when I thought – Oh, that's all a bunch of hippie mess, you know, and that's all woo-woo. I'm not into that, you know. I grew up in a Christian home with all these values, and, you know, a lot of people think the things I've done are, you know, voodoo and crazy. But I'll tell you, my life completely turned around and changed when I left behind Western psychiatry, Western medicine, Western every way of thinking. And it was in Costa Rica that, you know, you know, you're, it was like the crown of your head was peeled back and all of this information just started dropping in and all these people started showing up on my path. And, um, you know, I use the analogy of before I moved to Costa Rica, I was like this dude, I was like this sports car on a highway, just screaming. And I was missing all the exits and signs where if I would have just got off, there was something of value waiting for me. And what ultimately had to happen was I fell in Costa Rica. I shattered my pelvis. I was down and out for 18 months before I could even get out of my home on my own again. And my wife said, you're broken. You know, you're busted. You're you're shot. You know, and it's like the car. You know, I had a Ferrari, but who has a Ferrari and never changes the oil? And that's where I was at. I'd, I'd burned the engine up. You know, the tires were bald. It was an awesome it was an awesome vehicle, but the vehicle was shot. And it was when I had to take that exit off the highway, you know, when I broke myself down really bad that all these people, you know, I got lost and I was on the back roads and I was completely had to surrender to, you know, the guy walking down the road that looks like, hey, he might know where he's going. I should ask him for directions. And that's what happened. It was one shaman after the next healer and the next facilitator and the next Reiki master. And pretty soon I was deep into a transformation that I didn't even plan on. It just unfolded, you know, and I fell in love with the unfolding of it all, you know, and uh, I think that's why I've realized that, you know, the book has been so helpful to people. And the really interesting thing is everyone extracts a different meaning from it. And that's been the neatest thing is hearing back from my readers and people that I've uh, counseled, man, you know, I got this out of it. I'm like, man, I never thought about that. And it all those stories are in there and the information is there. But, you know, it's like, um, I heard Lisa Nichols say this one time, when you, your story is someone else's story, the details of it, you know, may be different, but you're going to pick somebody up along the way. There's always going to be somebody that they're, they're going to find themselves in your story. And then 
you know, once you grab them, you want to lift, you know, you want to lift them up. Like they say, like the rising tide lifts all boats, you know? Got it. And when you, okay, when you, what if the response been so far? Because it's on your website, you've got a lot of testimonials. It's really awesome to see the responses. You get some doctors that have been out there. They really mm-hmm. responded well. And um, you mentioned something earlier about Western, Western psychology. What is it about Western psychology that you think is a total contrast to Eastern psychology? And I guess total contrast to what the rest of the world has to say. Right. I think, you know, this is in my very humble opinion. Um, um, it's a Western medicine and Western psychiatry is theoretical. You know, there's been Pavlov and all these other people, you know, that have studied and, and they want to tie everything back to, you know, your, your childhood or the way you, something happened when you were a kid. And and that's all fine and dandy for theoretical study. I, I get it. But that also leads you into more uh, theoretical treatments as if as in, i.e., you know, take this drug and and I noticed that that's what people want, sadly, in today's America. You know, give me the – I call it the one-pill solution. You know, let me pop a pill. Let me have a shot. Let me, you know, have this experience, and tomorrow everything's fine. And, th- and that's not reality. It's, it, you know, it's, um, it's, it's complete <laughs> – it's completely psychotic, actually, So which is funny because then they put you on these things called antipsychotics. But um, – the reason that I've experienced such uh, awesome feedback and had all those awesome testimonials is because I'm I'm not spitting theory to people. You know, I'm giving them my experiential um, analysis based on the things that I've actually done that worked for me. And I was in about, you know, the crappiest place you could get to. And, you know, my at one point, my wife was like, I mean, I was laying in a bed broken, having to use a bedpan and a urinal because I couldn't even get up. And my wife was like, I'm going to leave, man, if you don't address this because you're mentally, spiritually and physically broken. And you're not being a good example. You know, you're not a role model to our two sons right now. I don't want them watching this. You're you're coming apart everywhere. And. I always tell everybody, and in the book I say that, I'd, I'd love to tell you I picked myself up by my bootstraps the next day or that day and, and got on with my life. But I didn't. I cried like a baby, you know, and I thought, great, now look what you've done. You're going to lose your family too. But it was that moment that made me realize I didn't want that to happen. And if I didn't want that to happen, and the reason it bothered me so bad was because it was true, you know, and truth hurts and it's hard to accept. Uh, but when I was able to, you know, wean myself off of the, you know, oh, what was me feeling sorry for myself victim phase, you know, I was able to see, hey, my wife loves me and she just wants me to be the man that she met, you know, because she met me when I was out of the military and all these things that already happened, but I was hard charging and I was out there to go prove to people and to myself that I'm going to do this and have an awesome life anyway. And Luckily, I found myself again. I found I, I picked up the pieces. You know, that's another analogy I use. I mean, being told that you have an incurable disease will blow your world apart. It will. And I, it's this little phrase I heard at one time. I call it diagnose shock. You know, you get diagnosed with cancer or heart disease or, you know, multiple sclerosis or muscular dystrophy or whatever. In, in my case, you know, and it totally blows your world apart. And then you have to go back and you have to find 
the pieces of yourself and reassimilate, you know, and remember, hey, hey, I used to like joking around and I was a funny guy. I'm going to pick that up and put that back over here. And, hey, I used to be more patient. I'm going to pick that back up and put that over here. And, you know, you you find yourself on this path and you, you put yourself back together again. And and hopefully in the end, you're an even better person than you were before. And um, I was going to say um, a specific the best I wish they would have wrote this down and I don't want to recreate it, but the best compliment or comment I ever received from one of my clients was, you know, I've been seeing this um, therapist, you know, like a traditional psychiatrist for two years. And, you know, I go every week and I talk to her for the last two years and I've come to your house and talk to you two times. And I've had more growth in my life after two conversations with you that I've had with two years with her. And I, I just said that to her. I said, well, it's because, you know, I'm, I'm feeding you experience and she's, you know, she's spitting theory at you. And the things that I am telling you, I know they work because they work for me. And I was in I was a wreck, <laughs> you know, uh, I can't imagine that. And how has your life changed since you've written this book? And where do you think you would be if you did not put the time and effort into putting this book out? Wow, that's a good one. Um, well, the funny thing is, is since I've written the book, um, my life hasn't changed too much because I, you know, uh, it's a memoir. So most of the transformation and change had to happen ahead of writing the book, obviously. And uh, so there was a retrospective kind of, uh, you know, and a sharing moment to write the book. But I guess the thing that's changed the most is I'm being sought out and like this moment right here, doing this interview with you. Uh, I, I do public speaking and I've been, I keep getting asked by more and more people to uh, speak at their events or uh, some seminars and things like that. And then um, I've even been asked to uh, join people's private practices that are, they're therapists, they're psychologists and psychiatrists that have had their own private practices for years. And uh, I've had two different uh, people ask me if I'd be interested in joining their practice and trying, you know, to use my skills for counseling. And um, so um, those are the really amazing and positive things that have come from writing the book and, and shifting my perspective on the way I view the world. And, um, you know, was, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer, one of my favorite quotes from him was, when you begin to look at things differently – things begin to look different. And that's saying a whole lot without saying anything. But when you realize it's all about shifting your perspective, um, things can totally change. And I, you know, I would say the biggest thing that happened was um, a really famous guy that is in this um, personal growth and self-help circle uh, was living in Costa Rica. And he, um, He's worked with many of the thought leaders that are in the movie The Secret, and he met me, and he got to know me, and he was like, man, you're an amazing guy, but, you know, you want to do this public speaking and stuff, but is there any way that you could, you know, like not use a walker or a wheelchair to to address the audience? And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, like, is there any way you could use a cane to walk out or, like, not use a wheelchair or a walker? And I was like, hey, man, look <laughs> – let me let me teach you a little something right now. I've had to learn that I can inspire and I can mentor 
and I can teach from this walker and wheelchair. And you don't have to be the perfect, uh, you know, have the perfect hair and the perfect life and the Rolex and the nice suit. That's not realistic. And I'm trying to be relatable to real people, you know, and um, there's a lot of people out there that I've noticed that the majority of people that I speak with, they don't have any kind of physical disabilities. And, you know, they all say to me, you know, I don't see you as a disabled person. And I'm like, thank you. That's the best compliment you can give me because I don't see myself as a disabled person. It's not a word I use, you know. So, um, and, you know, I think that's a image. Image is like this big thing that people worry about or they try to keep up in, in our day and age. And uh, I all I can be is me, you know, and that's what I told him. And um, he he was really kind of taken aback by what I said, and it was a great learning moment for him, and, and it was a great moment of um, building my self-worth for me, you know, and, and dismissing all those things, because I thought those thoughts that he uh, had said to me in that question, but I realized, you know, th- that's been part of what's been holding me back from publishing this book and putting myself out there is my own, you know, fear, you know, and um, I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, Jeff? You said that you were on your site, it gives people the opportunity to work with you. How do you work with people? What are some of the clients that you have? I mean, you don't have to go into specific details and answer, but how do you work with someone? And uh, do you have a tentative game plan that you do to help someone? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I do. I prefer one-on-one when I'm trying to, you know, do mentoring or counseling with people. Um, I do video Skype calls or just audio if the people prefer that. And um, and then I do one on one like in person uh, if they're in my local area, which I live in uh, Eugene, Oregon. So um, and, I, you know, for a while, I just only did one on one personal, uh, you know, counseling when I was in Costa Rica. And I always thought, oh, this is um, this is only going to work if I'm in the person's energy, you know, not to get woo-woo with people, but I have this. This is the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Do as woo-woo right. as you want. There is no limit. There is no judgment. So Okay, go, great. Because I mean, oh, I will right now because I've had, um, let's say that I work with things that aren't visible, you know. Um, I really got into shamanism and journeying and soul flight, whatever you want to call it, and meditation and a lot of the esoteric um kind of uh, studies and um, beliefs. And so what happened to me was, man, we could go on and on about all this stuff, but um, I'm able to tap into something that I believe all people have, um, but they just don't take the time to build those skills. So I have very uh, acute um, skills at, I'm very empathic and very intuitive, but not only that, I have things you know, things show up when I'm talking to people and I'm not talking, I'm talking about things like orbs floating over their head that talk to you and tell you, ask them this, you know, and they're like, and I'm, I remember there was a time when I was like, there's this thing floating over my your head. I'm not saying it to the client, but I'm thinking there's this thing floating over their head and they're telling me to ask them this. Yeah, right. And then I was like, well, let's see if it works. And I asked the people and they like break down in tears or something. And they're like, how do you know that? And I'm like, um, <laughs> I don't know. Something just told me I should ask you that, you know, and and then as you get to working with people more, you know, or people would say, you know, when I came in your house, I was all fearful and all this stuff. And 
first of all, you're not what I thought you were going to be. And I'd be like, yeah, because I'm wearing a Bob Marley T-shirt. I have a big beard and I'm wearing board shorts. Like, I'm not wearing a tunic and I don't have, you know, a half pound quartz crystal hanging around my neck. I'm just I'm just me. That's all I can be. I like to wear a ball cap and um, I have earrings. And, yeah, I just look like a regular I kind of look like a. You know, somebody who'd be a surfer or a skateboarder or something, I guess, you know, or motocross rider or something like that, you know. And um, but I'm, you know, I've taken this I've taken up the mantle of going down the spiritual path. And, you know, the thing that I do the most is I look into people's eyes and I look really deeply in their eyes and I lock them in. And it's a funny situation, you know, because people they try to they try to look over you or they look past you or they look down or people aren't used to being looked in the eye anymore and I'm able to pierce through something and, and I see something in them and, you know, it's like, it's the storm, you know, I can recognize the storm in their eyes because I've been there, you know, and I've, I've struggled through that storm. And, and that was the whole point of writing the book uh, in the end was, Hey man, I can, I can make sense of all of this by helping other people through their struggle or their storm or, you know, their personal, chaos so that's what i'm that's what i'm doing you know that's what that's what i'm and i realize that's what i'm here to do you know and uh nothing gives me more joy i remember in another interview someone said well you know what would you do if you don't make any money you know <laughs> like they were talking about like hey how's your revenue and all this and i was like dude look i'm not doing this for money i i remember when i was writing when i was while we're on the woo woo when i was in a meditation and my spirit guide came to me and said, uh, and this is why I wrote the book. I, I was in a shamanic journey and this guide that I have came to me and to the beat of the drum next to this fire, he said, write your story, tell your story. And I said, I understand, but I want to, you know, I want to improve my physical situation. I want to improve my spirituality. I want to improve my life. How do I do that? And he repeated again, write your story, tell your story. And, and I was like, okay, well, I'm already telling my story. I talk to people and I, you know what I mean? You keep trying to fight these things because you're, you're, you know, it's almost like you can't believe these things are talking to you and you're getting these messages. And then what happened was it said one more time and I, it felt like my eardrums were going to burst. I literally put my hand up to my ear. I thought I had blood coming out of my ears. It was so intense. It said, write your story, tell your story, you know? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And and that's why I wrote the book. And um, and ever since then, I realized, like I said earlier, it has a different meaning for everyone. Um, and, man, it just gets me. I can't tell you how I feel when people uh, end a session with me. Man, it's like, and believe me, I did a lot of drugs when I was upset and hated my life. It's better than any drug, and I, I've done them. It's, it's the most surreal out of body feeling that you could ever have to help to someone help like that. Yeah, that's awesome. And uh, you mentioned ayahuasca before. I think that's a life changing drug. Highly recommend uh, people do that. Especially, well, right. if they're under, if they have a very trustworthy shaman to work with them. And, right. You you mentioned. And, uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to mention like I would one call ayahuasca medicine. You know, because uh, I think there are a lot of people searching it out and seeking it out as a drug or as a trip yeah. or you know, like acid or mushrooms, and it's totally, it's not for the fate of heart. It's not for partying yeah. and listening to elect- electronica all night. No, and, definitely not. It's intense. It can be very intense. And my next, my next 
piece of advice to anyone would be um, if someone, you know, introduces themselves to you as a shaman, <laughs> it's buyer beware, you know, like that always raises a flag for me. Um, and I've had people say that to you, man, you're some kind of shaman. I'm like, look, I don't label myself and I, I would never tell anyone that I'm a shaman, but, uh, I understand where you're coming from. Like, um, and the shamans that I've worked with never said that they were a shaman, you know, like other facilitators are like, Hey, you should go see the shaman. And they started training me in shamanism and all this, but they never once said, I am this, you know? And but I did have some of those along my path, and those were the ones that I was like, "Man, this feels convoluted," you know. Well, you said that you you sense people. You talked to people. You can sense that there are certain bubbles, there are certain questions that you should answer. So, if there are any bubbles that might be around me that are saying questions that I should be asking you that I haven't asked you yet, because I'm totally open. Wow, that's a good that's a good question. Thank you. Um, because I don't, I don't, want, I don't want to miss an opportunity, right? I, I don't want to think. Oh my goodness! There was a bubble of a question that I should have asked you before that I didn't ask you. And I'm like, oh man, because usually when I have bubbles hanging around me, they're usually bubbles of uh, cannabis, cannabis bubbles that kind of pop <laughs> and they, they pop, and everyone around me just all of a sudden they get a little wacky. So, ah, uh, yeah, so that's the vaporizer there you're the talking vapor. about. Yeah, it, it, yeah, yeah. I heard yeah. this thing where you're like, you know, I did all the drugs. I'm like, give you, you oh, I hope you're still doing them. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Well, I, I would. I would. Peacefully. Yeah. It's just a bad and, and, sometimes. No. And there's things, you know, there are things that I still indulge in. Of course, I have no issue whatsoever with marijuana. I think that it's extremely uh, therapeutic and helpful. And especially now with all the CBD stuff that they're doing and all the proof that's coming out, you know, and, and totally um, – contradicting what Western medicine thinks and says about cancer. And, you know, when uh, here's one that'll blow your mind, uh, since you asked me a question that um, you think people would be interested in hearing. Yep. I recently received, because I'm in the VA system, you know, and I go to, um, I use VA assistance to help my son go to college. And, you know, I get my medical care for my family through them, which you should when you've been, your body's been ravaged by, you know, serving your country and trying to help the good folks of, of the United States have a normal life. They don't realize how much people put on the line so that they can stare at their iPhone and be on Facebook all day. I mean, seriously. But um, I received a letter from the VA, okay, saying that they had just recently approved medicinal marijuana for veterans because they realized that the psychotropic drugs and the Vicodins and the Oxycontins and all these things are ending people's lives. And I was just flabbergasted. Like my wife and I were, we were laughing so hard. We were like, it's so weird. We've been gone for a decade from the United States. And it's like, it's like a different world now, you know, and I'm from Texas originally. And, you know, now living here in Eugene and Oregon, which um, I just learned this Eugene, in the state of Oregon, they decriminalized marijuana in 1973. That was a year before I was born, and I'm 42. So um, it's pretty amazing, and it's so weird to me now that there's – I mean, I don't know. There's got to be 80-something uh, dispensaries in Eugene, and there's only 150,000 people, you know? So, wow, that's awesome. Um, Everyone, we have to make a uh, Out of Limits of Energy radio show trip to Eugene. 
There you go. Yeah, we'll do a mobile show from here. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah, I always wonder if they um, if they ever did uh, cannabis commercials, they would be 15 seconds long because they, these pharmaceutical commercials that they do, they sell a new pill. They're like, ah, this pill will help you out, but they spend the next 45 seconds telling you about all the side effects, and right. it's like, why take the pill in the first place? With <laughs> exactly, cannabis, this pill no will help effects. you. This pill will help you if your heart doesn't explode, if your eyes don't bleed, if you know, if you if you never want to have an erection again. Like the side effects are unbelievable, and I'm like, dude, why would you do that to yourself? So you know, it's very encouraging to see that medicinal things are being more sought out. Number one, and you know, like who even has to give thought to that? I. No, even the side effects of marijuana, they're always like, well, marijuana, if you smoke it, it'll demotivate you and you'll eat. I'm like, well, what if you have an eating disorder and you're stressed <laughs> out all the time? I mean, boom, exactly. perfect. You lower your cortisol, exactly. Oh. You know, uh, and, and there's so many benefits uh, beyond just smoking it, you know, like ingesting it. And, and that's been the funniest, uh, neatest thing is being in a dispensary and literally these like, you know, baby boomer age people coming in that are like, yeah, my doctor wants to put me on this thing and I've never tried marijuana before. And a friend of mine told me I should come in here and you can hear the kind of nervousness in their voice. And then they have these, um, you know, they have these clerks and attendants in there. They're like, they're like baristas at Starbucks. You know, they're going to whip you up something nice and give you exactly what you need, you know? And they're like, okay, look here, we got the CBD thing. Uh, and it's going to help dull the pain. But if you want to sleep, you know, we can give you this uh, indica, which and it's so funny because they'll tell them, OK, sativa is you want to go out and garden and indica is in the couch. OK, so if you want to go to sleep, I can give you this thing and just to take a few puffs and you're done, you know, and, and if you don't want to smoke, we have these vaporizers over here. I mean, you know, it's like a little boutique thing now. It's it's really cute. And and it's neat because. People at least um, have the ability to go out there and seek out an alternative, whereas before we were in such a rigid uh, medical system that it was like, nope, this is the way, this is the only way. And, yeah, you might get yourself whacked out on Vicodin. You know, I've been there. I've been addicted to Vicodin. And, and maybe you'll go pick up your kid from school and then forget you did and then try to go get him again and leave your five-year-old at home alone. And I'm telling a personal story that's in my book right now. So, wow, that's, you know, that's for, you see, you you picked up your kid from school, you forgot that you picked him up, you went to go pick him up. That's wow. Yeah. And we were seven, and, got there, and he wasn't there. Like, oh my god, what, what is? Well, here's the, the the luckiest part of it is I had this key box uh, next to the garage door, and I got I'm literally I'm in my office, and I'm doing some work. Uh, at the time, I was uh, doing like investment real estate in Austin, and I'm doing some work for a client. And all of a sudden, I was like, oh, crap, I forgot to pick up Dagan, my son, from school. And he's like in kindergarten, right? And I jump up, and I go to my key box, and I grab my keys, and I'm opening the door to the garage, and I hear these little footsteps in the hallway. And Dagan's like, Daddy, where are you going? And I looked at him, and I was like, uh, how did you get here? And he looked at me like I was crazy because I was. He was like, you picked me up, Daddy. Don't you remember? And I'm like, um, all right, we're 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 done talking. And I remember that it was that night my wife came home from work, and I told her, I said, man, I have a problem. Like, I'm taking these um, – I'm taking 500 milligrams of Vicodin 
six to eight times a day, which is what it's they're telling. It's printed on the bottle that that's what I need. And I'm starting to realize this isn't the first time. There's big chunks of stuff that's happened that I can't remember. And the funny part was when I told my primary care physician that I wasn't going to take it anymore and what was happening. And his response was, you feel this way because I was having withdrawal and I was not feeling good. And he was like, what's the matter with you? And I was like, I stopped taking that Vicodin. And, you know, now everything hurts, number one. And I feel all irrational and weird. And he's like, you feel that way because your body needs this. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, well, I don't want to need it that bad. So, um, yeah, that was another one of those funny things where I just had to, you know, your doctor's trying to tell you, no, you need it. That's why you have withdrawal because your body needs it. And I'm like, well, that's also called drug addiction. And I can't believe that you're trying to push this on me so hard. So, I mean, I went through a period where I thought, are these guys trying to kill me so they don't have to pay me disability or something? <laughs> well, it's, I, I think I may have, t- I think I'm pretty sure I took Vicodin one time and it was, yeah. maybe tw- it was a horrific experience. I took this and when I was on, I was like, and they give this to people? I was yeah. Like, this is like something where you should take medicine to not have. And right. I, I was because I was in, I was in a little I was in some pain. I'm like, you know, what? next time I'm just I'm just gonna go through the pain because the pain was much worse. Yeah. Than yeah. But I well, and then uh, you know, it didn't help that I you know at that point in my life, man, you want to talk about just off the rails, you know? So you know, their, their doctors like. Hey, here's this giant bottle of Vicodin. Don't drink beer or wine. So what do you do? You go home, crack it open, crack open a bottle of wine, and, you know, start chugging some pills down with wine, you know. So, you know, and I remember that, you know. I remember people's, you know, and you're like, whoa, this is crazy. (laughs) So, you know, but at the same time, I think when you're in a, you know, I, I, I recently was talking uh, to a buddy of mine about that, I said, you know, it's so funny the cycles that people go through. They, you get diagnosed with this incurable disease, or you break your body, you know, break a bone or something. You're going to be laid up for a while. So then, what do you do? You punish yourself more and just start down in pills and alcohol and, you know, things that aren't going to help you. Yeah, it's not, you know, I, I find it hilarious when people look at marijuana as it's like, you know, the the modern day crack or something. This is a crack epidemic. All these people smoking weed. And I'm like, you have no clue, dude. This is the cleanest, best thing. You go to sleep, you wake up tomorrow, ding, new day. You know? I think of anything, the worst drug is cognitive dissonance. I, well, or drug. Uh, absolutely. I mean, there's so many people, they don't even realize that their rights are being taken away and they live in this, and they don't even do critical thinking. You've got, you're in the information age. Billions right. of bits of information available at the tip of your fingers. I mean, it's not like back in the day where you had to, like, you know, the printing press saved things and people were embracing the information, but tons of information and you still have people that don't question the nature of reality. So I don't know. Absolutely. And and you would think that people would be right. We have all these intelligent things around us and you would think people would be more intelligent. And I would actually, you know, beg to differ and say that it, back when the printing press and the light bulb and all that was being invented, man, people may have been a little more sharp than now they they put their life in the hands of social media, you know, and I'm like, man, you know, all the time when I'm doing some counseling or consulting with people, they, they spout off these things that I'm like, have you looked that up? Like, have you really looked into that besides something you heard on Facebook? Cause you know, I'm not sure if that's such a good idea, you know, or this YouTube video of this guy, you know, and I'm like, you know, you may want to do a little more research to that and, and see if this is all, um, 
you know, relevant, number one, and is it really uh, helping people? Like, and then, you know, I go and I'll look these things up all the time and there's all this, um, you know, debunking theories and stuff and like medical, you know, information that you're like, oh, that completely contradicts the thing that this person was saying over here. So, you know, while, while there are many, many um, avenues to explore, there's also just, I mean, let's be honest, there's complete wackadoo, you know, out there too. And uh, you got to be careful, you know, because I've, I've seen people, you know, sadly, I've seen people ingest drugs in Costa Rica that people were like, oh, man, this is great. You smoke this flower and it, um, it gets you super high. It's like smoking 100 joints. It's called Reina de la Noche. And I will tell you this much, the indigenous tribes, they used to get get that flour and they'd put it in their rival tribe's food and water to make them psychotic so they could take them over, oh. right, and kill them off. And Of course, the, yeah. that's probably people like, oh, i got to try that. Yeah, and there's this huge festival down there called Envision Festival, and uh, I sadly had a friend that smoked Raina Del- Her son did because, he, you know, young guys, my son's age, 18, and he smoked this flower, man, and he ended up in a mental institution for eight months. And sadly, he's still not completely coherent and all there, you know. And uh, it's one of those things where you got to be careful, you know. To, you can't always trust the source kind of thing, you know. Yeah. Well, Mr. Jeff Anthony, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I really enjoyed uh, learning about your life, and I hope that uh, people who are listening are able to take your experiences, apply them towards uh, their own life experiences and hopefully come in contact with you. We can learn more about Mr. Anthony by going to his website at journeytointersage.com. Again, he's author of a fantastic book called Cosmic Wizard, A Journey from Inner Outer Rage to Inner Sage. I have to tell you, that is a kick-ass title. Whatever state of consciousness you were on, please, I hope we all get to that place because that is a brilliant title. You can also do some one-on-one coaching with uh, Jeff by going to uh, emailing him at jeff at journeytointersage.com. His phone number is 503-519-1981. You can also find him on Skype as well. And also, uh, Mr. Anthony apparently is going to be doing a show soon with a very distinct featured guest on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. When the show comes to fruition, we will be plugging it very heavily because we have a tremendous amount of respect for Mr. Anthony and tremendous amount of respect for the guest in question. Mr. Anthony, thank you so much for being with us today, sir. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very humbled by this experience, and I really appreciate it. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show. Special thanks to our great guest, Mr. Jeff Anthony, and special thanks, as always, to the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show virtues, Ms. Carrie O'Connor, Ms. Lisa Kaza, and Ms. Constance Dellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of Inner Truth radio show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. So the next time we meet, my friends, wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and fears. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, this is Ryan, host of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, here today to talk to you about three amazing individuals, and that is the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show virtues. Terry O'Connor, Lisa Kaza, and Constance Stellis, who've been with the show since the very beginning in 2014. I think if you sat down and talked with one or all three of them, they could probably give you some great insight into your life. First, let's talk about Miss Carrie O'Connor. Learn more about her by going to her website at kerryoconnor.com. Miss O'Connor is a psychic medium. 
She's able to facilitate communications with you and people who cross over. She's able to see ours, read energy fields. She's absolutely amazing. Then we have the Astro Phenom, Miss Constance Stellas. Learn more about her by going to her website at constancestellas.com. Miss Stellas is able to read your chart, find out where you are astrologically speaking, find out what's coming into your future for the next year. She's absolutely amazing what she does. Then we have Miss Lisa Casa, Psychic Empath. Learn more about her by going to her website at lisacasa.com. Lisa is going to give you the truth directly as it comes to her. It's incredibly intuitive. You're able to shine insight on your life, where you're going, maybe answer some burning questions you have. All three of these individuals are incredible metaphysical teachers. It's a great honor for me to know them. I love them all, and I think you will too. So I hope you get a chance to talk to one or more of them and hear them every week on the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show, OuterLimitsRadio.com. Want to be heard or seen in front of millions of people? Want to be an expert on TV or radio? Goldman McCormick PR is a New York City-based public relations agency that specializes in traditional and social media placement for law, finance, media, and corporate-based clients. Goldman McCormick PR also are specialists in website development, radio show creation, press conferences, media training, and so much more. Check out GoldmanMcCormick.com for more information. GoldmanMcCormick.com With the God force within, you can power your consciousness to get you the things that you want. The way that we have been told of is not the unvarying way. The names that can be named are not unvarying names. It was from the nameless that heaven and earth sprang. The named is but the mother that rears the ten thousand creatures, each after its own kind. When I read that, my first reaction was, what the hell is this guy talking about? So I asked my venerated teacher one day, I said to him, Boogaloo, how do you get in touch with this Tao thing? And what he said to me was, you can't really understand the Tao or the infinite self intellectually. It's beyond the mind. It's like a riddle, really. The only way to comprehend it is through heightened awareness and feeling. He said, try this discipline. He suggested that I rise at 4 a.m. in the morning and walk in silence for an hour in the forest. So I began the discipline, rising daily, walking in all weathers. In England, if you know England, well, there's plenty of weather here. And I would walk silently through the forest in the dark, not really having a bloody clue what I was doing. But the funny thing is that having done that discipline daily for three years, I eventually got what the Tao was all about. The first line of the Tao says that you cannot put a name to it. And that's a fact. It's a truth. The Tao is the essence of all things that sustain the 10,000 creatures. It is the underlying beauty that comes from the grace of the God force flowing through all things. That grace, that life force, some people call it the etheric, you can actually see it. Get yourself in a relaxed state and stare at the top of a tree, preferably at sunset. After a minute or so, move your gaze to the area of sky to the right of the tree. Stare approximately where one o'clock would be on the face of a watch. Now, without moving your eyes from the point in the sky that you're staring at, move your attention back to the top of the tree. 
Remember, don't move your eyes, just adjust your attention. Doing this, you engage your peripheral vision. You'll see the enormous flame-like spirals of energy firing out from the tree in all directions. If you can't do it first time, leave it and try again later. A good time would be after one of the fasts that I mention in one of the later sessions. Once you see the energy, once you know that the God Force runs through all things, once you understand it is the unifying power, the raison d'etre of everything that exists, you'll begin to understand the infinite nature of this dimension, of this evolution. And gradually you'll come to understand the Tao and what the infinite self can do for you. But in order to do that, you have to release from the ego's tight, limited perception and accept the infinite power within you. It comes to an understanding that says, when you are prepared to release and detach and let go, you gain everything. It took me a while to make the turn, to adjust from the crazies that I used to hang out with, and to arrive at a more powerful, placid, serene lifestyle. My quest and my path was fraught with disciplines of every kind. So, in order to do that, I had to put into my quest or my path disciplines of every kind in order to control myself. So I took on nutritional discipline, the discipline of walking in the forest, the discipline of attending meditations and meetings, reading, studying, and taking time aside each day for silence. 25,000 people were attracted to my spiritual teacher over the years, and at each level of the teachings, the disciplines got harder and harder. After a period of about three years, almost everybody had dropped out, to the point where in the end, there were only 72 people left, one of which was yours truly. Eventually, there were only three of us left. It was that tough. The reason why the disciplines were so difficult and the people dropped out was that the teaching called upon you to be extremely disciplined and extremely spontaneous. So my teacher would phone and say, there's a meeting next Wednesday evening in southern Spain at 7 o'clock. Be there. There wasn't any question of, could you make it financially? You know, did you have the time off? Could you get to Spain? Was it comfortable? Are you happy with the idea? Is it convenient? It was just a matter of, be there. If you didn't want to be a part of the teaching, you didn't have to show up. But if you went, and you were even one minute late, you were tossed out forever. So you can see how we got rid of people really quickly. There were no ifs, buts, or maybes. There was no slack. And what I learned was that spiritual growth and getting to a higher awareness is not necessarily convenient. That's why most people never make it. They want to perceive a higher place, but they want to do it from the considerations of the ego and all of the limitations of an ego-based consciousness that often has the energy of a slug in a puddle. It's not doable that way. What Lao Tzu was talking about in the first few lines of the Tao Te Ching was that the world of the infinite self, the world of the Christ consciousness, the God force, the Buddhahood, runs through all things. It is everywhere, but it has no definition. It is only the ego that defines, discriminates, quantifies, measures, and creates an edge or framework so that it can understand things. But the eternity, the life force, the etheric, the grace of God, let's say, that is flowing through a plant, a tree, an animal, your human body, the water that flows through the streams, doesn't have a definition. 
You can define a tree because there is a precise and definite space around the tree where it is not. Here the tree is, and here's the space around it where it isn't. But the God force is omnipresent, meaning it is everywhere, so it can't be defined. And of course the God force, if it is present, must also be God, because God is everywhere. The God force and God must logically be one and the same. You can work it out. There's a law in physics that states that no two particles can occupy the same space. So if the God force is everywhere, and God, he, she, or it, is everywhere, then God and the God force must be one and the same. Because you couldn't have a particle of God existing in the same place as a particle of God force, because no two particles can be in the same place. So either you have to have a particle of God force and a particle of God side by side, and then both of them would not be omnipresent, because there would be places where they were not everywhere, or they would have to be superimposed upon each other, which is not possible. So the God force and God are one and the same. So to reach the infinity within you, you have to first change your mind about definitions. What the Tao says is, it is because of definitions that we limit ourselves. So the Tao says, nothing is high or low. Nothing is intrinsically short or long. No journey is short or long. One could say, well, this journey is a long journey because it takes you four hours to drive from A to B. But it's not long compared to, say, sending a satellite to Mars. And that isn't long compared to sending a satellite to the outer limits of the Milky Way. So the first understanding or the first perception that we have to think about is that the infinite being has no definition. That can be a little unnerving for the ego because the ego likes the idea of my body, my people, my house, my car, I am here, I'm not everywhere else. But in fact, what we're looking to do is to expand our heart to where we can understand that sense of infinity within us and where we can see ourselves in the perception of being eternal. Meaning that you existed before you came to the earth plane, you exist now in the physical form, and you will exist after you leave the earth plane or after your body quits in the earth plane. So the idea of infinity is a very beautiful concept. But it's a very hard concept for the ego personality to grip. I can say to you, think about infinity. And perhaps you can vaguely imagine something going on forever. But if I say to you, what does infinity feel like? You'll probably not have a precise feeling inside of you. You may say, oh yes, Stu, I think I know what infinity's like. But thinking you know is only the first run on the ladder. So what we're looking to do is to first of all get you to accept the idea of the infinite self intellectually. In other words, we're selling the ego personality. Then gradually through discipline, meditation, seeing life in a sacred way, opening yourself up, moving beyond fear, coming to a more compassionate understanding of this planet, you will eventually experience infinity as a feeling. Then you'll be able to say, yep, I feel eternal. I feel immortal. I feel infinite. I am everywhere.